0: Good morning to you. We are continuing our series in uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And um, as we commence this morning, I've got a question for you. Does a Christian person have to obey the Ten Commandments? Do not murder. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. No working on the Sabbath. That's commandment number four, right? No work on the Sabbath. Does a Christian have to obey all of the Ten Commandments? And what about the rest of the Old Testament's commandments? If you're just going to obey those ten, what about the rest? What do you do with those? What about those laws where you have to sacrifice a goat or a sheep or a bull? Uh, No eating pork, no prawns, no bacon. Should... A Christian obey all of the laws of the Sabbath. So if you see somebody working on the Sabbath, you should kill them. What about the dress code? You know, there's a law that says you have to have little blue tassels on the corner of your coat so that you will remember the laws of God. You see, some Christians say, look, no, we're not saved by obeying laws. We're saved by grace. So, presumably, that means the Ten Commandments, go ahead and make some idols. Do what you want, really, if that's how it is. There are other Christians, of course, who will say, no, 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 we absolutely must obey the Ten Commandments. And if any of you are here, could you kill me after I finish the sermon? That would be fine. Um, What about circumcision? What are you going to do with that? Oh, wait, we we might say this. Well, I know, I know. What if some Old Testament laws apply, but some of them don't? That sounds very sensible, doesn't it? Eminently sensible, very Anglican. But who gets to decide which are the ones that we'll keep and which are the ones that we'll ignore? I mean, why uh, can I be the person that decides that? Or is it you? Or is it somebody who decides? Surely anyone who breaks part of the law is guilty of all of the law. Isn't that true? It seems that the whole idea of picking and choosing which commandments we like and which ones we don't like sounds a little bit dubious. And so this question that we've posed ourselves this morning, actually there's a lot riding on this, isn't there? Do Christians have to obey the whole Old Testament or not at all? Or can we pick and choose which ones we like and which ones we don't like? You see, as we continue in this series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we need a very clear answer to this question. And before we even go that far, we should really acknowledge that most of us don't like laws and commandments at all. Isn't that true? We feel in some sense that our freedom is limited by all of these laws and commandments that surround us. Our culture really would much prefer no laws at all. I can do whatever I want. Absolute freedom, so we think, no boundaries. And so when we do bump into a law that we don't like, we tend to say, actually, I'm exempt from that law. It doesn't apply to me. No, really, officer, it doesn't apply. doesn't go so well, does it? I think the ideal situation that we'd all prefer is that there are lots of laws that everybody else has to obey, but not me. That's kind of how it works, isn't it? Well, I'm I'm overstating things just a little, but we really should acknowledge that there's something in us, something deep inside us, that reacts badly to commandment and to laws, which is a problem. It's a problem for us because... Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount that we're uh, working our way through is just about to bring to us all of the Old Testament all the law and all the prophets he begins doesn't he uh, Matthew 5 verse 17 the first verse today do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets so this whole issue of obeying law we've got to get that straight in fact Jesus' relationship to the law is central to everything that he has to say in his great Sermon on the Mount. And let me explain why. We've just finished the introduction to the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes. And now today, verses uh, 17 through 20 of chapter 5, is kind of like the the beginning of the body of the sermon, and then there's a whole uh, section in the middle, which we'll move to next week, about all the different laws that Jesus wants to address, and then at the kind of just bridging into the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, there is another section. And the key phrase there, when Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, the repetition of the law and the prophets, again at 7.12, bookends everything in between. So if we want to understand what Jesus has to say about the law and the prophets... We're going to have to come to terms with everything in this great Sermon on the Mount and that question that we began with. Well, do I have to obey all of this? So what's the answer? Do I have to obey it all? Well, do you know what? You're going to hate this. We're asking the wrong question. We've begun with the wrong question. I actually want us to take... A huge mental leap, and to see if we can change the way that we think about law and commandment entirely. What if God's law was actually a love letter and not an abstract standard that determines who gets into heaven and who doesn't get into heaven? You see, what I want to show us this morning is that more than anything, God loves humanity. And because he loves us, he wants us to love him back. And instead of being an instrument of punishment, the very best purpose of God's law is actually to show us how to live with God, how to get along with him, how to enjoy his presence. Let me explain this. What's the first law in the Bible? Can someone tell me? The first law in the Bible is don't eat from the tree. Okay, remember, back in, back in Genesis, very first law. Adam and Eve don't eat from this one particular tree. What's the status of Adam and Eve at that moment? Well, they're loved by God. God's wonderful creation, made in His image, perfect in His sight. Because I love you, Adam and Eve, I've got one law. Don't touch that tree. Have a think about the next great body of law. That comes in the Bible. It's, it's given to Moses, isn't it? The, the Ten Commandments of which we've spoken. When did that happen? Was it before or after Israel had been saved out of Egypt and had been rescued? They were, well, it was after, wasn't it? After we've come out of Egypt, after we are proclaimed the people of God, deeply loved by Him, now that you are loved and free and saved. Gather round the mountain, and I'll give you my laws. Every time the Ten Commandments is recited in the Bible, it sounds like this. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods but me, and blah, blah, blah. There's the rest of the laws. There's always the preface there. The preface to the Ten Commandments and all of the law is, I'm your God, and I've saved you. I've rescued you, so here's how to love me. That's how it works. So as we come to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the purpose of law hasn't changed. The first and best purpose of the law is to describe the righteous life in the kingdom of God. Life in the garden, life in the promised land, life in the kingdom of God. Because you are saved, The law is given to show you how to live as God's people. And the same is true for us. We show our response to God by loving Him, by obeying Him. So Jesus says this, we know this well, "'Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching,' says Jesus. "'My Father will love them and we will come to them "'and make our home with them. "'Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching.'" So you can see how God's laws and commandments operate. They are actually an opportunity to express our love for God. They're not primarily the bar that we have to jump over in order to get into heaven or get into the kingdom. It's the law's best and primary function is an avenue through which we express our love for God. When I first started dating Kate, my wonderful wife of 29 years, I used to come to her front door every week, or most weeks anyway, with a bunch of roses. And they were fantastic roses. I knew they were because I nicked them from Dad's garden, and he was very good at roses. And so I would come with my roses week after week after week. And after a while, Kate said to me, the roses are really sweet, but I don't like roses. (laughs) I like gerberas instead. And that little bit of self-revelation was very loving of Kate. Because, aha, I want to show my love, and now I know gerberas are the go, not roses. God's law is a little bit like that, only much greater. You want to show your love for God? God loves us so much, he says, here's how to do it. Obey these laws. That's why, when you get to the Psalms, there are so many Psalms that say, God, I love your laws. They are beautiful. It's a delight to me. Do you remember we read from Psalm 19 a little earlier? The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes. The point is this. The first purpose of God's law and commandments in the Bible is not to tell us what to do to get into heaven. Instead, God gives us His laws as a people who are already saved to show us how to live with Him, to express our love for Him. And so it's with this framework of grace firmly placed in our hearts and minds that we approach the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has so much to say about God's law and his commandments. And so we begin anchored in grace as we move on to this next part, the body of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it now actually makes so much more sense for us when we approach verse 17 of chapter 5. You might see it in the Bible in front of you. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus talks about the law and the prophets. It, it's, it's a shorthand way of saying everything that the whole Old Testament is about. Okay? He's talking about both the law of Moses delivered to Israel at Sinai and the Old Testament prophets with their promise of a messiah jesus hasn't come to abolish them they still have something to say to the christian person about how to live with god god still reveals himself he shows us how to love him how to respond to him even in those apparently weird bits of the old testament with blue tassels and no prawns it takes a little bit of work granted But the whole law and the prophets really do matter. They are God's word to us. But here's the key concept. Don't miss this bit. Jesus has come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That is to say, Jesus is not nullifying and overthrowing everything that's come before him in the Old Testament. All that God had to say then, as though it were useless, not at all. He says, I've come to complete that. Not merely the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses, but everything that the whole Old Testament had to say about God, about who he is, about his purposes, about a relationship with God. Everything that we were taught to expect, all that's promised. Now, says Jesus, I have come to fulfill that. Jesus, if you like, is the goal and the completion of God's unchanging word in the Old Testament. Now, let me explain part of what that means. Jesus does everything that was required under the law. All of the sacrifices with goats and sheep and bulls and cows. All of that ritual. All of that dealing with sin. Jesus fulfills that entire system with his death on the cross. Everything that the Messiah was prophesied to do, Jesus will complete. He will fulfill it. That is, he is and he does all that the Old Testament required. Remember, I mean, we we have to get that sense of finality to the work of Jesus. I mean, it is a great thing, is it not, that we no longer have to bring a cow with us to church to sacrifice it, to deal with our sins. As we prayed at the beginning of our service, there is great joy. Our sin is forgiven entirely because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The goats of Roseville are safe. Everything that the law required, Jesus has done. Do you remember Jesus' final words on the cross? He said, it is finished. It's done. All that the law required is complete. And yet that law, perfect as it is, still remains. But instead of demanding something from us, it is satisfied completely. By Jesus, we now share his righteousness under that law. We love God's commands because they actually reveal him to us. By them, we learn not only of his love for us, but how to love him back. All of this starts to take shape and make a lot more sense now. As we look at Jesus' words in verse 18, you might look at them with me. Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter... Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus is saying everything here in the Old Testament will not change, will not disappear until a certain time. Not the tiniest squiggle from the Hebrew letters will be lost. I think he really means it will remain in force and in place until a certain time when is that when will that take place verse 18's got two time markers doesn't it until heaven and earth pass away until all things are accomplished and these two expressions are like they're parallel clauses and we know that when this happens the two are meant to really refer to the same thing they're two ways of looking at the one event if you like and initially we might have thought well jesus when is that jesus must be referring to judgment day right Um, you know we think of heaven and earth passing away on judgment day but in matthew's gospel already jesus has dramatically transformed that apocalyptic expectation by proclaiming the kingdom of heaven he's proclaiming The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God is arriving. The kingdom of God is breaking into history in my ministry. And in fact, on the cross, when he cries out, it is finished, the future kingdom of God comes crashing into the present. All things are accomplished in the death and resurrection of Christ. In the context of Matthew's gospel, I think Jesus' answer is actually in the kingdom of God in the kingdom of God which is now and it still has a future component the kingdom of God which has arrived and broken into history in the ministry and death and resurrection of Christ which will be consummated at the end of time that is when all things are accomplished with the inauguration of the kingdom of God in Christ there is a change and at least two things have changed Everything that the Old Testament promised about the Messiah has been met in the person of Jesus. It's first thing that's happened. Second thing that's happened, all the requirements of the law have been completed in Jesus. The application of the law has changed. The purpose of revealing God to us remains but all of the negative consequences of disobedience have been removed for the Christian. And isn't that brilliant? In the kingdom of God, your sin is completely dealt with in Jesus Christ. You don't need to sacrifice. You don't need to try that a little bit harder. You don't need... To wonder whether or not God might accept you. He accepts you fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great news, isn't it? As we continue in this passage, we're now able to look at verses 19 and 20, which are hard for us to hear until we recognize that we are saved entirely by the work of Christ. We are saved by his kindness and his goodness and his grace. Verses 19 and 20 say this. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We've already concluded, well, Jesus has come to fulfill the law and something dramatic has taken place with the application of the law with the coming of the kingdom of God. So what's he mean here? Which commands is is jesus referring to anyone who breaks the least of which commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven in context jesus is referring to the laws that he's just about to give do you remember that the very next and major slice of the sermon on the mount is a series of uh, occasions where jesus says you've heard it said this in the old testament i say this to you now okay These are the commands of Jesus that uh, he's referring to. These commands really do matter. Jesus has a lot to say about murder, about adultery, about the way we speak, about payback, about loving our neighbour, about doing righteousness. And it all applies to us. It really does matter. It's not how we get into the kingdom of heaven... It's not the way in which we are judged; it is the way in which we show our love for the God who has already saved us by grace and invited us as members into the kingdom. I want to make this really clear, just in case you haven't missed it so far. I know it's been fairly heavy going. The laws of Moses, the Old Testament, all the Old Testament requirements, do not apply to the Christian because they have been fulfilled. In the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no more sacrifices, no more food restrictions, no more blue tassels. It's finished by grace. The law itself still stands. It's God's perfect law. It's just that the Christian is not condemned by that law anymore because of Christ. We don't stand under the law. We stand under Christ. And so the lordship of Jesus now rules our life. And if we want to know how to bring our best to God, if we want to know how to express our love for him, the commands of Jesus shape our response. That's why all of the commands of the Sermon on the Mount follow along, because we are members of the kingdom of God. So there is a, there's almost a surprise for us, and certainly this will transform the way we think about all of Jesus' commands, To obey the commands of Jesus is the pathway of blessing. You want to live the blessed life? Deep joy, profound happiness is actually found living according to the commands of God. You want to know how to love God? His commands show us how. Obeying Jesus' commands is the pathway to blessing in the kingdom. Here's my challenge for you this morning. I know what my heart's like. I'm guessing your heart's not too, not too different. I wonder, will you in your heart say, Lord, help me to love your commands? I don't want to treat them as a duty any longer. Let me love the things that you love. Give me deep joy in obeying all that you want. I think that's the step we need to take. As we engage with the entire Sermon on the Mount, as we will now over the coming weeks hear Jesus' commands time and time again about different aspects of life, will you make that your pathway? where you say, Lord, let me show my love for you by obeying? Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for fulfilling all that the Old Testament law required. Thank you that we are free to live now under your Lordship. As we ponder your teaching, your ways, the things that you show us in this beautiful Sermon on the Mount, give us a profound joy. As we give our hearts to you afresh in obedience, we ask it in Christ's name.